What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Sad Boy Radio. I'm your host, Matt, and today we got a special guest. Man, there's a couple things to say about him. He's the manager of Poppy Beats in S. Chicano. He's one-third owner of Private Stock. And then on top of that, man, he's housed everyone that fucking needed it, apparently. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself, bro. Uh, my name is uh, Jason Valcarcel, and I am founder and owner of Private Stock. Go ahead and talk about how you got started in the industry, first of all, right? Because you've had quite a journey getting there. Private Stock wasn't the first one. No. What made you get into music in the first place? Getting into music, my, my parents were were everything for me for music. I I, uh, I used to go to band practice with my parents. My mom was a salsera. She was a lead singer and a songwriter. And my dad did sound, live sound for them. And so I, I used to go to a lot of band practice and a lot of festivals that they used to play at. In fact, my mom, my mom's opened for Hector Lavo and Celia Cruz. And, you know, they had they had a really cool life. Um, before they had us and while they had us, really, because my mom didn't quit till like, till I was like f- six or seven, maybe or five, something like that. So they were living the life while they had the kids, and they were going to college. They were hustlers. Yeah, and my mom's in the military, bro. Why? Why? Why'd she do all that? My mom's impressive. Herself? My mom's an impressive lady. My mom uh, served in the military for thirty years. She's got a plethora of college degrees. She was a high school teacher at Clemente because she wanted to make a difference with people that look like us, right? She wanted to make a difference and she was also the dean there. So she's a she's a really special woman and she she has a ton of drive. So um she kind of my both of my parents their drive makes me like not stop, you know, like I just keep going. Whatever it is I want to achieve, I I always uh, I got like shutters in and I'm I'm trying to like focus and hone in and keep it moving. Which is a good and a bad thing. We're, we're going to touch on that later, later, later. But <laughs> I want to kind of touch on that relationship you have with your mom real quick, right? That's something that we all have. We all have that special relationship with our parents, but we never talk about that shit. For you, it seems like she was a huge influence on your life. What's one of the main things you took away from her aside from the hustle? Everything she did, she did it because she loved us. She wanted to see us, you know, um, succeed in life. So she... I mean, for her to do the military and be a school teacher, and she didn't even stop going to school till she was like maybe fifty. Like she was always continuing to learn and, and and improve. So, I mean, I think it all comes back to the hustle, right? Even the love is a hustle. Like she's she just she works really hard, man. It was it was incredible to watch her, and it was scary too. Like I was just like, how do you live up to that? You know, because she came from straight from Puerto Rico, didn't know English. She came here her senior year of high school, and they said she was gonna fail. And she graduated with straight A's and did, like, three or four extracurricular things, played sports and everything. She's a superstar, bro. Yeah, she doesn't like to be told that she can't do something. And I'm exactly the same. So what did you come up with when you, you know, you faced that question of how do you live up to that? Honestly, I still don't have the answer to that. I think that's something I've always been chasing. I've, I've always been chasing for her validation in whatever I do, even though she's not saying she needs you know it's not something like she doesn't hold it over my head or anything but i I think i'm always trying to find a way to yeah impress her hey be like that bro you know are you the oldest yeah i am the oldest oh see i'm the middle child so i'm the one that like didn't get the attention so i'm always trying to find a new way to get that attention yeah you're you're the one and bro you're supposed to be the favorite bro i don't know i I feel i don't know if i was the, (laughs) the one that was i don't know i think i had it uh school was uh really easy for me and uh, I think it might have been a little tougher for my younger siblings. 
Um, so I, I didn't have the focus of my parents. I was kind of like left alone, like, yo, he can handle himself. I get that one too. Uh, I was the one that like did everything they didn't have to worry about unless I was doing some dumb shit, but I wasn't even that bad of a kid. They just make it seem worse than I was. Nah, I didn't do anything bad, G. Honestly, like I was, I was good. So then go ahead, talk about the beginning of private stock, right? We, we got a little bit into the beginning of who you are, but private stock is really something that's taken off. Uh, it's a well-known studio around Chicago, bro. You said you guys just hit about 10 years. So how did that all start? The music journey was a little different. Like, um, even though I loved it and I grew up in a recording studio, too, with my father, um, I thought it was too risky of a thing to kind of even pursue. But I remember when I was 21 or 22, one of my best friends wanted to make music. And he, for some reason, he was like, I feel like you can be the person that helps me do that. I was like, why? <laughs> I was like, I don't make records. I don't, you know, the only, I love music, but I've never built anything, any type of studio or anything like that. But he he instilled his faith in me, and I found a way to build a studio and, and find the right people. I kind of like, it's like he wanted a seat at the table, so I created a table for him. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, he didn't know who to work with. So I was just like, all right, I'm going to build something around you. And honestly, that was that was like a huge learning experience for me. And that was, that was like 05, 06. Um, and I taught myself how to run Pro Tools. And uh, I taught myself how uh, to mix and learn new plugins and all that. It's just, it's just like a, a really gritty, like t- a huge journey, like a, a huge undertaking of trying to learn a lot of things I've never touched. Was that uh, Dam Dam's boy that wanted to learn how to rap? No, no, this is Dam Dam didn't come into the picture till like 2010. That was like five years later. Like I was, then I bought my house in 08. And then I was just like, I'm going to build my studio in my crib. And that was like the field of dreams type thing. It's like I built this thing and motherfuckers just started showing up. I was just like, oh, what's happening here? Like, why is there so many people at the crib? And it wasn't just musicians. It was just like, then graphic designers started popping up. And videographers started popping up. I was like, oh, I was like, we can shoot our own videos? Like, this is crazy. And it wasn't as accessible then. Like, this was new. Um, and then we started having, like, my college friends that were doing marketing, they started popping. And I was like, all right, let's talk about strategy. And I was just like, oh, wow, all this is coming together. And all I was trying to do was become an engineer. And now I saw myself, I was like, oh, I can't be an engineer. I have to I have to create some type of company here. I have to lead these people in the right direction and, and try to make something of it. And that's how Good Life was started. And it was crazy because my house then that I had just purchased with my family, my floor, an entire floor turned into like a record label. And everybody was sleeping there. So I was waking up to this and falling asleep to this. We would record till 2, 3 in the morning, talk strategy in the morning, uh, create marketing plans, uh, building websites from scratch, like coding. Like this, it was a really intense thing. And and I didn't really understand what was happening, but it was happening. So I had to just move with it and make it happen. It was happening quick. And this is what I mean when I said that you gave a house to everybody that fucking needed it, apparently. Because you had, who else did you have sleeping with you? I know Poppy Beats said that you, you opened up the crib to him. Poppy damn, Beats, damn. damn It Damn, Bugatti. Uh, if you guys know uh, Little J's Jacob Cuevas' brother from Heart of the City, like they would be there all the time. And not living there, but like musically, we even had like the Pivot Gang kids, guys would be there. I'd had McJenkins in there before. Um, uh, Smoko Ono was my was my intern. I mean, I didn't know what was gonna happen with any of these guys. Like, it was—it's crazy to see where they're at now. And at my crib, I had all this happening. So, how does that feel now? Looking, at, you know, looking back on it. Obviously, you know, you said you hit that ten-year mark. 
And we still haven't really touched on what I, I wanted to get into yet, but, you know, with a little bit of reflection, what would you say? Even though Chicago's a major city, we're a fishbowl instead of an ocean. And it's just cool to see, like, how we can we can really make an impact here, um, even without an industry, even without having the offices that New York or LA have. Like, if we keep focused and we, and we create these rollouts and we put in the time and effort, we can really make a buzz here. And, and I've seen it happen right in front of me. I've seen Saba take off. I've seen Smoko take off. I've seen Poppy go to LA with Vic for an entire year or two years. Like, it's been an incredible thing. I mean, I, I didn't know it was going to happen. So let's go back to just private stock in general, right? How did that all begin? You know, you've had, like we said, you've had all these different studios. You worked with LPZ, Good Life was the first original studio, but private stock together, uh, coming together with Herson and Lewis. The Good Life thing, that had been like the first leg of me trying to do music. That was from like 06 to 012, right to 2012. I think I was burned out, right? So I, I burned out. I tell Poppy he destroyed Good Life because he didn't want to do the work, right? But I also understood like, it just wasn't challenging work, and we didn't know how how far these artists were gonna go, right? Because it felt like we wanted it more than them. Um, and I had quit, and I just remember Alex was just like, "Nah, man, like, I didn't want you to quit. I just want to focus on something else." And I kind of got re-inspired by the LPZ situation with Rocky Fresh, and then I told my boy Hurston, I was just like, "Yo, man, I'm gonna build another studio at the back of the crib." And I'm going to curate these sessions with Smoko and Saba and Icon. And I'm going to hashtag everything private stock. And uh, at first it was like a joke. Like, like, I was like, I bet if I hashtag this thing a hundred times, something's going to happen. Kind of like that good, like good life thing did. And then, sure enough, he laughed. And then after a hundred posts, motherfuckers were like, how do I get in this private stock session shit? And then I was just like, oh, wait, I'm onto something. And um, that's when I decided, I was like, oh, I'm going to build out another studio and I'm going to create this project management team because I think what the city is lacking is kids are being creative, but they don't know how to roll out the music. They're putting out music and getting hundred plays. I was like, for what? That's a waste of time. Email that shit to your grandma. Like let's really put a push behind, let's put a plan behind you and take this to the next level. And that's really what, that's what private stock was. It was like a creative haven for Chicago creatives. How do you feel like bringing Herson and Lewis in helped raise the bar to that? Really my focus was Herson. Herson brought in Lewis. Herson was this hardworking kid who grew up with my, my sister and my cousins. And I, I saw him take this young rapper who was lighting up the city at the time. Who was it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> but he was, look, this kid almost got signed by Def Jam immediately that, after one mixtape. I was really impressed by his work ethic. And I, I felt like if I work with this kid, he's got that same drive as me. Um, and then he brought in the rest of the people. Honestly, he, those are his friends that he believed in as well, and, and we became this tight, tight-knit unit. That's just crazy not hearing the story, right? Because every time I talk to somebody else that's involved with private stock, I'll be like, so how did this all happen? And they're like, honestly, I don't fucking know. We're just here now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you feel like is one of the major road bumps you guys had to overcome as a company? Uh, I would say the three of you, because you are the three in charge, right? So what happened in 2016 was I, I wanted to merge... The engineers I had at one studio with private stock and build something bigger. But the challenge was like, do we make the investment of opening up a multi room studio? Like, because it was never really about the studios, right? Like, the studio to me, I know is a dying business, right? Because people can record at home and we've seen the success they have with that. Um, 
the difference was like I didn't want to be a recording studio. I wanted to be like this. I wanted to give the artist an opportunity to actually put out their music the right way. So I wanted to have them come into the studio and teach as much as possible so that they could level up. Um, and I think that's the difference. I don't think people book with us for the recording time. They book with us for the rest of the experience. Mm -hmm. They know that they can talk to somebody that can lead them in the right path. And so that that wrote that was the conversation. I was like, do we do we make this investment to triple the square footage of this company and take the risk of paying way more overhead? And it, it worked out because we had really talented engineers and our in-house production was was crazy. And that's something you're huge on, bro, teaching people, being able to give back to the community. Something that you and Poppy do is you go to Lane Tight. You teach the kids over there. You talked to me before about how you were doing After School Matters programs. And th there's just so much right there. But something that we talked about before was the first person that helped you build your studio, Matt Wheeler. And I want to bring that up because that's something that it, it was like a crazy connection that I saw between us, right? Because like I had told you, that was the first studio I ever fucking walked in. You know, I was like 11 years old. I went with my cousin and, you know, I I just always loved music. I always wanted to find that space to finally be able to be in. And that, you know, that that just helped me grow that love for music. Oh, yeah. That's honestly how I learned. That's how I got into the game. Like, I had my boy Isaac. I lived with my boy Isaac in a duplex. And I had, uh, I worked with this artist. We worked with this artist, Manny. At the time, he went by 360 the Mac. And uh, his engineer was Matt Wheeler. Bro, and I know who the fuck you're talking about. My boy engineers for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's his name? Fuck. He, we call him Swift. Swift, Isaac. Uh, yeah. That's my, that was my roommate. That's my boy. For real? Yeah, he was, he was yeah. Swear to God, yeah, bro. We were, we were super close, yeah. Mm -hmm. Bro, that's fucking crazy. He's the guy that taught me how to use Pro Tools. Isaac doesn't see, uh, if he wants to do something, he just does it. He's like, fuck it, we're going to learn. And uh, he had gone to Columbia College, and he knew Matt Wheeler because he was taking Manny to those sessions. And he was like, he asked, he asked Matt, like, yo, can you help us build a studio at our crib? And he, no problem. And that's when Matt had left the studio he was working at because he was about to go work for Dr. Dre. And he helped us put our studio together and he shipped out to, to Los Angeles. Having somebody be able to guide you and you've been able to do that in giving back to the community, give back to the kids, but you also recently helped somebody else build their own studio over at Safe House. Yeah. Why do you feel like it's so important for you to return the favor? Honestly, I'm, I'm returning this the favor to, to my younger self. I, I remember being so hungry for for the knowledge and no one wanting to give it. It's like, it's like everyone around me was, was like, Oh, if I give you this knowledge, you're going to take something away from me. And I never wanted anyone else around me to feel that way. So, so I hope as much as possible. I hope as much as possible. I give to the youth as much as possible. In fact, if I can get to them younger so they can get in earlier and maybe realize their dream sooner, that that's my goal. So I've, I've worked with a couple of high school students where they, they said they had a, a vision and a dream to be a, a musician or a rapper or a singer and i've and i've i've helped them from a to z and like on the process and if they like it they continue and if not at least they got that experience so why over at safe house right you know you're kind of touching on a broad overview of why you help people but you had mentioned that over at safe house you know the person reached out to you and was like damn i'm gonna do what this person did for me i was impressed with him he's super hungry he's very dedicated and when he says he's gonna do something he actually does it um he said he wanted to build a studio we had one conversation and a week later we started the entire process three weeks later the studio was built 
a week after that, I was installing software. I was like, oh, you you really about this? And he'll call me, ask me questions. Like he's not he's not scared to ask questions, and I'm okay answering them. So that's somebody that wants to learn and take it to the next level. So I really appreciate his hustle. He's engineering too? He was looking for engineers, right? And he's getting clients and he's trying to like, all right, I want to cover overhead with the business coming through here. If an engineer doesn't pick up, he's like, all right, I'm going to engineer the session myself. Fuck it, I'm going to figure it out. As long as he knows how to track it at first, right? He does. He does He does a good job, actually. He does a really, yeah, he does He does a really good job. He showed me the shit he's tracking. I was like, all right, you, you're really doing this. Just track that shit, figure out the engineering part later. Yeah. You've done everything you can to help anybody that's come across your path we talked about it earlier but you know damn damn s chicano poppy beats you shut down good life with poppy beats because he said i don't you got to give us the real story man because what he said is that he told you like hey i don't i don't believe in these people type shit honestly like when we shut it down he walked into my front office really quietly he didn't say a word and i looked at him and i said okay it's over i was like we'll get this shit right now he didn't have to say anything to me like we're, we understand each other. Like we got that type of connection, and I, and I knew, I know, I was like, "Yeah, this is not the direction we need to go in." And um, I believed in him so much. I was just like, "All right, I mean, I'm gonna go whatever path you take me in now." Like, we gotten this far. Let's see. Let's see what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And that shit opened the doors to everything. Yeah. Like instantaneously, we got like, I remember Scheme had told him like, "Yo, take whatever production you got." Burn it on a CD, go to the show that Mikey Rocks is at and pass out your shit. And we landed two placements with Sir Michael Rocks like almost a week after that shit. It was crazy. And he was he was going viral on his solo shit. He had just like the cool kids weren't split up, but like they were taking a break and he was like, I'm focusing on my my solo shit and it was takeoff season after that. And sometimes you gotta tear everything up or tear everything down just to build it back up yeah. and build it even better. I don't believe in failure. Just just experiencing something and learning from it and, and pivoting. That's it. Like, that's that's all you can do. Pivot, gang. Yeah, you know. <laughs> hey, shout out Damn Damn. We mentioned you too many times already. Damn Damn, to me, is, is equivalent to, to, to Poppy. You know, like, that. he was, like, like my kid at the crib. I had turntables in my studio. He wanted to DJ, and I was like, you're going to learn on vinyl first. Fuck CDJs. Fuck MP3s. Like, we're going we're gonna to focus on, on vinyl. And that kid had... he didn't blink he was like all right that's what i'm gonna do he invited his dj friends whoever he knew and that's how he was learning day by day he just but that guy got better in weeks he was a monster and he was cutting like he was really doing turn he was doing turntablism he was dj damage was really a dj he says that he doesn't believe he's a good dj what's your take on that he's a great dj yeah he's a phenomenal dj he's just super humble and he's always learning that's an, he's another kid that like he he's not scared to ask questions and he's not scared to learn like he understands like there's always more. Mm-hmm. I'm never, I'm never gonna be just the best version of myself. Like, I can always improve. And then, yeah, that's that's a part of his work ethic. Him and Bugatti have insane, insane work ethic. And there's one more person. I know you probably don't want to talk about him, but I feel like he's kind of important to the story. L.A. Van Gogh. L.A. Van Gogh is is an incredible artist. Um, I think I think my experience with L.A. Van Gogh was a growing pain for myself. Mm-hmm. I think he was going through some stuff, and I didn't understand it at the time because I had tunnel vision, and he was just so great. That I just wanted to take him to the next level immediately, no matter what. I didn't I didn't want to see any, like, I didn't want to stop. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to keep going, and I think you know he was going through some personal shit, and 
I just didn't pick up on that. What do you feel like working with him had taught you? To focus on everyone's mental health. I think that's, I think we don't talk about that enough. I think it's super important. Um, something that I deal with too on a daily. And I tell my artists now, like, if you're not okay, let's talk about that first and let's get you the help you need. Let's not move forward until that. Because if you move forward without working on that, you're just going to crash and burn. So let's let's fix that first. Those are the tough conversations you have to have, especially when your artists are going through it. It's really tough. Somebody you mentioned to me and somebody that, you know, came on here and talked about that shit really heavily was Eschicano. That, you know, whenever he's going through some shit, it's a it could be really detrimental to whatever he's got going on, whether it's creatively, whether it's personally. And I know that, you know, him going through COVID was a huge thing for him. For you, how do you feel like you've been able to manage that, right? Being able to manage somebody else's, well, not manage somebody else's emotions, but work with somebody else's emotions. I mean, I have the tough conversations now. And with Chicano, I've verbatim told him, it's like, hey, man, like, I'm not going to roll out your music till you're okay. And I, and I think that needs to be your focus, like, because you're so, I, and I think he's an incredible talent. So I just, I want to, I want him to be, I want him to heal some before we, we really go crazy. And I, I've had those tough conversations with him. He's like, and I'm not saying it was easy, but I feel like he trusts me. So he, he gives me the opportunity to have those type of conversations with him. Over time, you've, you've become more comfortable with those conversations, just like you're saying. And it's really helped build that culture over at its private stock. You guys aren't just the studio, just like you said. You're the company that's teaching these kids that, hey, it's okay to focus on your mental health before anything else. You've had to go through this situation where you've prioritized just the business rather than, you know, the people around you, your family, your, a lot of family. Yeah. <laughs> what do you feel like is so important about that culture over at Private Stock? I think aside from holding each other accountable, we lift each other up. And what I mean, like... Like I said, I deal with, with depression. And if I'm having a bad week or a bad two weeks or a month, they make sure they, whatever workload I needed to do, like, they pick me up. You know, they they, they help me out. They hold me down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the difference. Like, I, I remember having DePaul over, and they're like, how do you know who to make your partners or who to work with? And I was like, I was like, with third party, that's different, right? Like, I have to vet what companies I work with or collaborate with. But when it comes to the people that I work with, that's my family so it's just different we have we're a different vibe we have a different respect for each other uh it's all it's literally all love that's something that's really dope to have around you making sure that you have the right people around you because it's not easy to build the right team no you've obviously done it and you failed a couple times with it where you've torn down everything and you've left the situations because they weren't healthy for you anymore yeah that translates into the personal life too there's situations that you have to remove yourself from because they're not going to help you grow anymore, any more than where you are, at least. And for you, you've put, once again, you've put business over everything. You got three kids. Yeah, I do. One of them you have a great relationship with. Yes. The other two, it's a little bit shaky right there. Yeah, it is. What do you feel like was the largest contributing factor to that? My depression was. How so? I folded under that type of pressure when I had those, when I, when I had my babies, I, I didn't, I think I, I, I've been having fun with the career I chose. I don't think I knew how to be 
a grown up in that aspect. Like I didn't know how to be that man or that dad. I didn't understand. Like I don't think you're ever ready for that. But I honestly didn't understand how to how to pivot to that. Like how do I make that change? What is it I need to be now? Does that mean I have to quit what I'm doing? It was a lot of questions, and I I, I can say I didn't handle that well. I could have done a lot better in hindsight. I don't want to put you on blast right there, but it's definitely a key part to who you are and, you know, the, the way that your life has turned out now. Mm-hmm. I want you to touch on that, though, because that's something that a lot of us 20-year-olds go through where, you know, if some shit were to happen, you're like, damn, like, what, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. How do I handle a situation like this when it wasn't something I was expecting? And will I be, you know, will I be the one to do the right thing or the wrong thing? For you, what was going on in your mind at that time? And what could you honestly say you wish you did better? I wish I would have faced it head on. That's really what I, I wish I would have not ran away from it. Because that's, that's what I ended up doing. I ended up, like, creating excuses in my in my mind, like on why I couldn't handle it the right way or, or I was, you know, pointing the finger, blaming someone else when it, it really was just like, I just needed to face that. And whatever stress came from it, that's that's just a part of life. You know, you only grow when you're uncomfortable. You know, if you're always comfortable and you're just coasting, you're not, you're not learning and you're not growing. Um, and that's something that I've taken away from that. Like I, I tried to stray away in a comfort, you know, like, eh, Maybe I'll handle that tomorrow. Maybe I'll take care of that tomorrow. That's not that's not how life works. You have to you have to face that head on, and that's when you're going to be your best when you're most uncomfortable. And what was it that made you come to this realization? Just living life, yeah. Just a day to day, just facing those demons. You know, I was listening to Drake earlier. I hate that I fucking pull so many Drake lyrics, bro. But Jungle, right? He says, these days I'm letting God handle all things above me. The things I can't change are the reasons you love me. Listen, you can hear them calling my name. I'm all over the place. I can't sit in one place. I'm not ashamed at all. And it seems like that's the lifestyle you, you live for a long time. You know, you know, you uh, all these things that people wanted you to change about yourself. The hustle. That hustle was a real thing for you, and you gave up a lot for that shit. And it was something that you couldn't change about yourself. The reason they love you. But not it never seemed like you were ashamed of it. No. That was a mask. I created a persona. And um, I wanted to... I didn't want to let that persona down. I wanted the grandiose shit. I wanted... I wanted to go out and pop bottles. I braided my hair every three days. I bought a pair of Air Force Ones every week. I bought a new fit every two. You know what I'm saying? Like I was, I was feeding this this like monster I had created, um, and and that was depression. I was just trying to find a way to like validate myself, make myself feel better, special, or something like that. You know, like I was just trying to feed something, and, and it became a monster. It became bigger than me. Um, and honestly, that turned into like isolation afterwards, because then I, I just I didn't know how to be that person anymore. Um, and that's kind of how the blinders came in. And then I was just like, all right, like my trauma response was like hyper focused on building your 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 business. Then, you know, and people think it's, it's not just building a business. Like private stock, I had to, I designed all the rooms. I did. I designed all the acoustic treatments. I rebuilt the computers. I do all the software installs. I you know. I, I created all the 
the I've created the web stuff. The like I have to create this infrastructure, and and my trauma response allowed me to do that. Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not sure. Um, but that all came from me falling apart from that that like persona I had created, which was Phase, and and honestly, I, I dropped that name like. So oh. that's where Phase came from. Yeah. What was it that put you in this position though? Where where did this depression you feel like it stemmed from? I think my depression stems from trying to get my mother's validation. I wanted her attention, and my mom was so decorated, right, with, like, the life she was living that she didn't have time. So, like, even though she's an incredible person to watch, she also, she was, she was really in the military. She went to Desert Storm. You know, she went to Iraq. Um, and then she was a high school teacher, so... You know, high school teacher is not a regular teacher. Like she was, she was pulling hell, hell the time at at Clemente and she was a dean of students as well. So like, I think I was just always searching for for her validation. I wanted I wanted to impress mom, and it kind of spiraled me out. How do you feel like it affected your relationships with everybody else? Then it might have affected my relationships with women, and at that point, right? You stole Poppy's girl, bro. That's yeah, you know, <laughs> Poppy's girl became essentially like the love of my life i didn't even know at the time though honestly if i'm being honest i found out afterwards <laughs> i had no idea he was telling me that shit outside yeah. when we uh when i grabbed him from outside he's like he had braids just like you and i used to be like man fuck that dude with the braids <laughs> he really was like that <laughs> touch on that a little bit more right you know it affected your relationships with women but that's the surface level shit right obviously it's going to affect your relationships with women your relationship with your mom is the strongest relationship and the first relationship you know with a female but on that deeper level right you're not allowing people to understand who you are you're not allowing people to get to know you a quote that i once heard is i can only know you to the deepest level that you know yourself yeah. and i think that that's something that kind of relates to you in this situation you weren't allowing people to get to know you to that deeper level because you didn't really know yourself to that deepest level. I was hiding from it. I was, uh, I, I liked the facade more than the, the fact that the facade was almost like fake deep. And it's easier to create this persona. It's easier to let people think that like, yeah, this is what I got going on. This is who I am. And even if it's, you know, sad boy radio, that's, that's a whole nother persona. That's the persona that like everybody has to think that, I'm sad or I got some shit going on or like I'm I'm spitting some knowledge but at the end of the day right it all stemmed from shit that I was going through and sometimes when I'm not going through shit it's like well what the fuck am I supposed to talk about let me go grab this person Let, let's talk about some random shit right yeah. but that's why I shoot people that question of what's weighing on you heavy right now because everybody's always going through some shit. There's always something weighing on somebody. That's a part of life. One of my favorite examples to shoot people is that strain on friendship. I think that that's something that weighs on me a lot. Is the fact that these friendships that I grew up with, the people that I grew up with, I don't talk to them anymore. I call them my best friends because those are the closest things I've had to friends in a long time, right? I wouldn't say I got... You know, other than the people I work with, Vic, I know Vic's going to look at me right now and be like, I'm not your friend, bro. What the fuck? But I don't got friends that I grew up with anymore. I'll call them here and there. We'll talk on the phone. We'll be like, yeah, let's get together type shit. 
when's the last time we actually got together? When's the last time they actually called me and said, yo, what's going on with you, right? And for me, that's one of the things that weighs on me the most because I feel like I broke that relationship in a sense. You know, growing up, we definitely took different paths. We definitely had different interests. And they were on a different path in the sense that they were doing some dumb shit. And I always knew that, like, yo, this isn't for me. Like, I got got some shit going on. And they knew that. You know, I'd sit down and have conversations with them. And they're like, you know, like, you've motivated me to be better. You've motivated me to do better with my life. Damn. We got older, right? We went to college or I went to college. They didn't. And that gap grew bigger. So we weren't on the same page anymore. We weren't talking about the same things. We weren't living in the same world anymore because I had, you know, frat shit going on. I had to keep up with my grades. I had to go to work. They started building these relationships. They started getting jobs that they had to be at because they have to start paying rent. That wasn't my life for a minute. So now that we're, you know, four years down the line, I'm out of school, they're doing their thing, it's hard to reconnect. You're not able to build those relationships anymore. You're not able to talk the same way that you used to. And I, my problem is, is I reminisce a lot. I think about when I was a kid and shit was easy, right? You used to have these little arguments with your homies like, man, fuck you, like, I'm never talking to your ass again. You'll be outside with them the next day like nothing ever happened. So for me, you know, strained friendship that comes a lot from, you know, I don't I don't talk to my people anymore. And I wish that shit was different. But everybody lives their lives and you can't grow with everybody. You can't bring everybody with you. It's just nice to know that sometimes you can reach out to that person. You know, that's interesting you say that. I don't. My circle was always small. All my friends are still my friends because I only associated myself with people that could work or worked as hard as I did or had a a vision for something. So I was able to, I'm not saying I'm close to them now, as close as I should be. They are my brothers though, like, but we're still connected in a way where like, I always reach out because they're still, they're dope motherfuckers. All my friends are dope motherfuckers. Like if I, if I went down a list yeah, like, I my, I think that's something I learned from my parents. Like, you know, you're only as good as the company you keep. So I, I never had a friend who couldn't achieve the same way I did, I guess, in a way. That's the thing about my friends, bro, is, like, we, we were never the same. We were never the fucking same. My main focus was always school and being the best I could possibly be. And we used to get into this shit. We used to get into it all the time because I w- they would say that I thought I was better than them. I still carry that energy. People tell me that shit. Like, you come off as standoffish and an asshole because you think you're better than everyone. Damn, because you work hard? <laughs> shit. But when it comes to my homies, you know, it, it really has come down to that because I'm the only one from my neighborhood that graduated from college. Wow. That's a big deal. I'm the only one that ever really was like, yeah, I'm going to go do this shit. Or whenever I set my mind to something, I did it. You know, I there's a couple homies on the block that have made music. They probably slid to private stock. Possible. <laughs> but they do it and then they give up. Yeah, they yeah. stop doing that see a lot shit. of that. Whereas this is something that I've kept consistent for a long time. And it's crazy. And I'm sorry we went off on a whole tangent. But it's crazy because 
I don't talk to those. Like I said, I don't talk to those people anymore. And I've grown this shit to almost 100 episodes now. And I probably talk to them about this shit in total, all like six of them, five times. Damn. In two years. They probably watch you now. That shit's fucking nuts, right? Yeah. Like you don't you don't even talk to your homies about the shit that you do now. Yeah. I don't know, man. That that just means the talking, right? That shit is crazy though. Think about it. So that's why I guess when I think about relationships and friendships, strained friendships, it's I don't even talk to the people that I grew up with about the shit I got going on now. And those are the people that I thought I'd be partying with when I was in college. Those are the people I thought I'd be making the biggest life experiences with. I've never even gone to the club with my homies I grew up with. That's wild. That's that's actually crazy. I'm just appreciative for the friendships I do have because they've been super uplifting. Like I, I I think I get validation through that. I love it when my friends say, hey, I want to I want to check out the studio. I want to see what you built. And um, I love seeing their faces light up like, damn. You really did this. Like, this was a dream for you and your porch, and you've realized it to this. And I was just like, I mean, I'm trying. I'm still trying. I'm still working on it. But I appreciate them giving me that validation, like how they support it, and they love it too. That's something I never got, and I I don't think it ever will from the people that, you know, I'm talking about specifically. I think that those relationships are virtually dead. Yeah, those relationships are virtually dead. There, there's a select few that like you know I'll still talk to, and those are the homies, homies. You feel like that's from you though? That's like, like, like you dead at that, or you feel like you outgrew that situation? I feel like I outgrew that situation a long time ago. I feel like they solidified that by let's put it this way: my brother will be invited to shit, but I won't, and we're down the street. Me and my brother live, you know, same house. Holy shit. That's the type of shit I'm talking about. So it's like, damn, like, you, you know, it, it really be like that. So that's why I say, like, I don't I don't think it'll ever come from those people because, I don't know, maybe they got some shit going on that. I don't know. I, I guess it sounds cocky saying this shit, but maybe they wish they were doing what I did. Maybe they wish they stayed on the same path that they had going on and accomplished what they wanted to right i think when people watch their friends do what they say they're gonna do they start reflecting on what their journey looks like like what could i have done different or what should i be doing not you though right you're the most successful huh nah i never i don't focus on what other people are doing because i know everyone's got their own journey so i mean i don't know maybe my blinders help me with that um but i was always hyper focused on like what do i want to do looking back has pursuing your dream been worth losing the relationships that you've lost man if i lost somebody pursuing what i wanted to do then maybe they didn't belong in my life because ultimately i gotta be happy with where i'm at and what i'm doing so if you can't support and get behind that go fuck yourself at that point no matter who you are family or friend um you live one fucking time this is all you got so like i'm gonna try to do the most um, and I don't see limitations. I don't. I don't want the uh, what if conversation. So I'm gonna just keep doing this shit till it works. Don't you have those what if conversations in your head about those relationships you lost though? No. See, that's the dilemma I come across, man. I come across the dilemma of 
I know anybody who doesn't support what I got going on, it should be fuck them. I'm saying it opposite though. I'm saying like I've given out, I'm I'm all love. So, so if you don't support it, then it's almost like you fucked yourself yeah. that because I'm gonna help you till the end. You know, like if you need me, I'm gonna be there. But you know, just know I'm I'm that's where I'm at. Hey, so the real last question: What does at the stew dot com mean to you? Holy shit. Who are you? <laughs> what the fuck? That is crazy. It's like Maury in this motherfucker. This shit. What's well, really good? Atlas2.com. So you're asking about LP? I think I think uh, LP was uh, a necessary relationship. Uh, he, he really helped me meet the people I needed to meet and create the table I needed to create. Um, And that's all I got. I mean, saying like, I designed that studio, man. What the fuck? And he, I mean, he he gave it a nice facelift, but it was, I mean, it was necessary. It was definitely necessary. How the fuck do you know this shit? What's wrong with you? Who the fuck do you be interrogating, bro? But shit, man. You know, your journey is one that I'm glad we were able to highlight. I don't feel like we did it justice. We did it enough justice, but... Oh, this is fun. I hope people know more about you after this and shit. They check out Private Stock. You got a lot going on over there. And shit, you got 10 years of life to... More than 10 years of life in this business to talk about. We just highlighted the Private Stock days mainly. But shit, bro, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. That's going to be all, guys. Make sure you go ahead, like, comment, and subscribe. Make sure you go ahead and check out Private Stock. Make sure you check out Blue Door Studios as well because that's where we record at. We got that new space coming. Sorry, Jason, but it'd be like that. (laughs) That's going to be y'all. Thanks for watching. Sad Boys for Real. Peace out.